Holy Spirit. So, Father, help us, we pray tonight. We come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we believe you, that you will speak to us by the Holy Spirit. We believe, Lord, that your word will come to us in a living way, an anointed way, in a simple way, and a powerful way. We ask for this kind of utterance, and we believe you, Lord, to speak to us, answer questions, bring guidance and direction, supernatural strength and help, and Lord, most of all, we believe you to confirm your word with signs following. And Lord, we know that that can happen in the room tonight immediately. That can also happen after we leave. That can happen as we meditate on what we've heard in the days to come. So we're believing you for supernatural results from the sowing of the Word of God tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, as most of you probably know, we have been for a number of Wednesdays going through the scriptures that are on these cards. These are out there in the uh, foyer and on the welcome desk, and they're free of charge. And I've been encouraging you, if you don't have this, please get a copy and say these scriptures, there's on the front and the back, every day. Now, it'll take you, you know, a few minutes, not long, but... If you will begin to declare these things, not just read them and look at them, that's good, but I mean actually put them in your mouth and you begin to say what God has already said. Because that's what happens when we quote scripture. We are saying what God has already said. So that is one of the most powerful forms of agreement with God that you can have, is when you say what he says. And one of the things that begins to happen when we do this is you begin then to catch those things that are not in line with what God has said. And you will begin to police yourself and even if necessary, correct yourself. Now, all of this isn't like an instantaneous thing that happens in the snap of a finger, the blink of an eye. But over time, we renew our minds to these truths. And the more your mind is renewed to these, the more you're thinking in the way that God thinks. He didn't say anything, and these are just scriptures. These aren't, um, you know, they're not teaching points. That's good, but that's not what these are. These are just scriptures. So, so if you say these, and you believe these, and you agree with these, then you and God are in agreement, and He will bring His Word to pass. Amen. If you do it long enough, you'll begin to memorize them, and they'll begin to just roll out of you, and uh, the, the power of God is always present to confirm His Word. Amen. So, we encourage you to get the card, uh, and also they're on the website. You can download these. I have these on my phone, um, but either way you want to do it is fine. And of course, we have done this now for a number of Wednesdays, and we've actually finished the first page. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how many weeks it took, but it was a good long time. And actually, we did uh, three of the verses on the back. So tonight, we begin with Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Matthew 9, 35. And actually, what I want to do tonight, a little different than we have done, I want to uh, read Matthew 9, 35. I want to read the next uh, segment, which is Matthew 15, 30, and 31. And then I want to read Hebrews 13.8. These three verses I want to read before we make any comments and 
dig into them a little further. Matthew 9, 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Matthew 15, 30, and 31, Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. I was quoting from the King James. That's the way I learned it, the original King James. I think this is probably New King James. Then Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same. And that's also the way the old King James words it. I like it that way. Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad he is? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Now, let's just go back and start at the top and work our way through. In Matthew chapter 9, 35, and I want to look at verse 35, 36, 37, and 38. I want to look at these several verses. Now, what we're trying to do is meditate from these verses. That's what this Wednesday night segment is about. And, and so it's not a sermon per se, maybe not such an organized teaching per se, but meditations from these verses. Because that's how we build our faith, is by hearing the Word. And one of the primary ways that is faith building to, to help you hear the Word is when you meditate the Word. To meditate means to, mun, to mutter as to oneself. It is involved in talking to yourself. It is to ponder. It is to focus. It's to look deeply into uh, an idea, a concept, or in this case, into the Scripture. Now, you remember when Joshua took the reins of leadership from Moses, in Joshua chapter 1, the Lord told him, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So meditation is connected to the mouth. Amen. So it's important to think about it, important to ponder upon it, important to mentally focus on it, but you haven't fully meditated Scripture until you've said them. Your tongue is uh, the, the key to releasing your faith, and your voice is as unique as your fingerprint. Science has proven it. It is unique as your fingerprint, and your voice as we have heard many times, is your address in the spiritual dimension. So when you speak, God is listening. And when you speak, he knows exactly where you are, he knows who you are, and he knows what you're saying, he's listening. So I always want him to hear me say that which is agreeable with him. Amen? And the scripture puts me on that safe territory. Now if I'm just talking about my opinion... If I'm just talking about my feelings, I may get off. You know, I might be mistaken. I could be wrong. But if I stay with the word, I'm on solid ground. I'm in good territory. Amen. And so that's what we're doing with these scriptures. And so that's why we wander off into some little trails here and there and take some verses in context. 
to get the idea of where these verses came from, where they're located in Scripture, and how they connect to other ones as well. So in Matthew 9.35, I will reread that, but read down through verse 38. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. What kind of laborers was he talking about? What are these harvest laborers? Well, they must have been going to do the same thing that Jesus was doing. He wasn't talking about them doing something different, was he? He was saying, I'm only able to be in one place at one time because I'm in a physical body and we need help. We need more people doing what I'm doing. Well, what were you doing, Jesus? Verse 35, teaching, preaching, and healing. That is the ministry of Jesus. Now, we know that the ministry of Jesus included for him the plan of redemption, going to the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, uh, the whipping post, the scourging, all those things were involved as our substitute. Those are not things we do. Uh, you know, if I was crucified, that wouldn't help anything or anybody because I cannot pay the price that I, that was due for my sins and for my redemption. But thank God I don't have to because Jesus already did. Hallelujah. And that's what all that was about. So those are not the works that we are trying to do. What we're trying to do are the actual works of ministry that he did. And aren't you glad that for about three and a half years, Jesus demonstrated what ministry is supposed to look like? Have you ever thought about that? Because, you know, if... Um, if his total purpose was only the plan of redemption, well, then why wait three and a half years? Why not just get it over with? Why did he teach and preach and heal? Well, there are a number of reasons that I, I uh, think about and some things I believe that are important for us to know because, of course, we understand that we are commissioned to carry on his ministry. Now, I understand, and probably many of you understand, that in the world today we're in, especially in the American and Western church world, there are a lot of formulas and theories and ideas about how to grow church, how to grow ministry, and how to do ministry. And uh, I'm not saying all of it's bad, because it isn't all bad. I'm not saying it's not from, that, that they're not things from God. But I am going to make this statement that's pretty tough, but it's true. A lot of things that are circulating in the modern church world about how to do church are just carnal, fleshly, emotional, intellectual ideas that don't have spiritual power. You know, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I know that. But I'm not stupid. I know that there are some things that if we wanted to gear up pay for, and do, that there are things that would attract crowds, maybe more than we have, you know. 
uh, get more people involved, get more people here. But the thing I always want to make sure of is, number one, is it what God wants us to do? And then number two, is this going to really give spiritual, add spiritual value to the people that will come and receive from it? Because, you know, you can go to a lot of places and have a social function. You can go to ball games. You can go to golf tournaments. You can go to all kinds of social events, sporting events. You, can, you know, you can go to places and there are big crowds. You can go to shows, concerts, uh, you know, opera, ballet, uh, drama. You can go to the movies and it, maybe if it's a, a really popular movie, the place is packed. But how many of you know that that's not meeting the spiritual needs of people? The church is unique in its call. The church, the body of Christ, is unique in its call. Nobody is called to do what the church is called to do. And I believe, personally, that one of the great deceptions of the devil in the modern time is to try to get the church to not do what it's called to do and be some kind of a cheap imitation of what the world's doing and absolutely just fail in its purpose. Amen. I'm not saying we never have fun. I'm not saying we don't ever have any kind of, uh, of, a, of a good attempt and a quality event uh, that is artistic or, or in, even entertaining in its right and proper place. But if that's all church becomes, it's a failure. Because when we come back to the simplicity of the gospel, and I'm reading from one of the four gospels, right? Jesus' ministry, as he walked the earth for those three and a half years before he went to the cross, consisted of these three things. It's all boiled down here. This is the short version, teaching, preaching, and healing. So a church that doesn't teach isn't a real church. Not in the New Testament sense. Not completely. Not fully. And I thank you for that. Deafening silence there. <laughs> a church that doesn't preach. You know, I mean, it's just a, it's just a modern reality today. P- pastors are based in some circles. They're, they're kind of trained and admonished. Don't preach it, people. People don't want to be preached at. Well, Jesus preached. And I'm sure not everybody that heard him liked what he had to say. I mean, uh, I've had some people mad at me, but they haven't crucified me yet. So he didn't always say what people wanted to hear. And, you know, teaching is, is the explanation and the presentation of biblical truth. And preaching is kind of the proclamation of it. It's not so much explanation as it is proclamation. And we need a balance of both. So if, if you go to a church where the pastor never gets loud, you might be in the wrong church. Ah, can I hear an amen? You know what I'm saying? Teaching. Preaching. Amen. Sometimes when they zig, you got to zag. Amen. Teaching, preaching, and healing. So a New Testament church is going to have a consistent 
emphasis on divine healing. It won't be the topic of every service. It won't be the topic of every sermon. It's not going to be every service is some kind of a mass crusade type healing meeting. But always in a local church body there is this thread, if it's a New Testament church, of the miraculous and the supernatural divine healing is woven through the fabric of the life of the New Testament church. Now, If what I've just said to you is true, and I believe it is, then that means there are a lot of churches that are far short of the biblical standard. Because there are churches you can go to where they never teach about divine healing. There are churches you can go to, they never preach, they never proclaim with power, authority, and anointing, and yes, even volume, the gospel. There are motivational talks, there are quiet devotions, there are even songs, there are all kinds of these things that are traditionally part of various kinds of churches and organizations, but I'm telling you the world doesn't need our tradition as much as it needs the power of the reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to represent Jesus faithfully, accurately, simply, and powerfully, and under the anointing, and when we do, we will do some teaching, we'll do some preaching, and there'll be some healing. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So Jesus was doing this kind of ministry. And notice what he said in verses 37 and 38. He said, there's a lot of work to do. Now I'm paraphrasing, obviously. The harvest truly is plenteous. And he told the disciples, pray for laborers. Pray for more teachers. Pray for more preachers. And pray for the ministry of healing to come into our midst. Pray for laborers that know how to flow in these things. We need, to, we need to be hooked up with people that know how to flow in the Holy Ghost. We all start out as babies. We all start out ignorant of so much. I know that was true for me. And I know the feeling sometimes to be in situations where the Lord has put you into an atmosphere that you have not been used to. And there's a move of God that you've maybe never seen or experienced before. And our mind is, is sometimes goes a little bit tilt. And, and we're trying to figure out, is this right or not? Or is it good or not? But when you go to the Word and you check your own spirit that's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And you prove that it's right then you just need to jump in. You won't drown. You'll swim, I promise you. God is going to take care of you if you're hungry for him. He said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled. And so I'm hungry for God. How about you? I am hungry for God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So when Jesus was ministering this way, Whenever he was uh, uh, doing this, you know what he was doing? He was showing us the Father. He said, I always do those things. John chapter 8, we've already talked about this in some other messages recently. I always do those things that please my Father. He was showing us the Father. One of the disciples asked him, said, show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He didn't mean he was his own Father. But what he meant was that we are one in such unity. The Godhead cannot really be separated. We separate and define. And we know there are distinct uh, persons in the Godhead. And, and we don't understand all that. All this argument about the Godhead. We, you know, nobody on either side or anywhere in the middle of those arguments really understand all that we're talking about. I wouldn't want to serve a God that I could figure out. 
need to let that soak in. You don't, you don't want a God that you control, a God that you figured out. You want a God who is God, all by himself, exclusively. He is God. So when Jesus came and ministered in this way, he was showing us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father in John chapter 14. And so, so it is that this teaching, preaching, and healing was the will of the Father. Then the second thing that Jesus was doing was he was demonstrating the will of God. Isn't it amazing if you listen to Christians talk how many people are constantly referring to their prayer life and to what they need and what they desire from God with always these words, well, you know, if it's the will, if it's God's will, uh, you know, or they don't know the will of God. Now, I understand that if we're believing God for a life major decision, we're believing God about direction and what to do, and I know that we, we wait on God, we want His will. I understand that. But when something's already spelled out in this book, I don't pray about the will of God about healing. I never pray for myself or anybody to heal them if it's the Lord's will. Why? Because I know it's His will. I went to His Word. I've already heard Him speak on this subject. I know that it's His will. And so that's the way we need to approach this, that when we see Jesus healing... We're seeing a demonstration of the will of God. Then number three, we know that he was doing what pleased the Father. As I referred to John chapter 8 a moment ago, Jesus said, I always do those things which please my Father. So teaching, preaching, and healing pleases the Father. And that should be good news for all of us because if you are dealing with an issue in your body, you can know that it pleases the Lord to be healed of that. For you to be healed, for you to be well, for that thing to be gone, there's no doubt about it. Like the song we just sang, the word is crystal clear. No doubt about it. Hallelujah. And so he was doing what, ple <coughs> excuse me, what pleased the Father. Now, another thing he was doing in this kind of ministry was he was loving people. Jesus never did anything outside of love. Never. Not one step did he ever take out of the love walk. And so when he was healing and casting out devils and setting captives free, he was loving people. And we know around here that the God kind of love, agape, the love that has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, that that love does what's best for people. That's, that's about as simple of, of a definition as we can get to and be accurate with it that the God kind of love always does what's best for you. Or as it manifests through you, it always does what's best for the other person. It's not an issue or matter of whether they earned it or not or deserve it or not. And it's not really a matter if we're doing the loving. It's not an issue of whether we really want to or not. We just make a choice to do what love does. Whether that person would consider themselves our enemy or our friend. Whether they are generous or whether they're stingy. Whether they're nice and pleasant or whether they're mean and nasty. It doesn't make any difference. Love just loves. Love just does what's best for people. And of course that brings us back to a scripture 
that we've already looked at. And in this list here that we're telling you about, so many of these scriptures are that way. They tie in and, and, and you see a pattern developing. But one of the scriptures <clears throat> that we've already covered was Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So when he was healing people, he was doing what was good for them. He was doing what was best for them. And then another thing I want to point out was, uh, is that he was operating in the fullness of his covenant. Now this is important and this is something worth thinking about, meditating on, maybe reading some more, studying a little bit more about it. But you've got to understand that the new covenant did not begin until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He had to shed his blood for the blood covenant, the new covenant, the better covenant established on better promises. That took place when Jesus died for us and took our place. So all the earthly ministry of Jesus when he was walking in the earth was technically, technically, biblically, under the old covenant. The veil of the temple had not been rent in two. The way into the holiest had not been made available. They were still sacrificing their sacrifices and doing the things they were doing. And Jesus came and perfectly fulfilled the law. He did what no other human was ever able to do and none could ever, ever do again. He came and was a complete, perfect sacrifice. And so when he healed the sick... Now, this is, the reason this is important is because of Hebrews 8, 6 and Hebrews 12, 4. And that's worth taking a note if you're taking notes. Hebrews 8, 6 and Hebrews 12, 4. Which refers to the covenant we are under, the blood covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus, as being the new covenant. And it says in Hebrews 8, 6 that it is a better covenant established upon better promises. So if the people, the multitudes came to Jesus for healing and there is not one place in the Bible anywhere where he turned anybody away. There's not one person that he ever said it's not the will of God to heal you. Not one person did he ever say, I don't want to do this. Not once. Not one person, not one time. And that was under a covenant that the Bible says was inferior to the one we have today. So there should be no question in our mind if God wants us healed. There should be no question if he will do it. Because we have a better covenant established upon better promises. One of the things Jesus did in his earthly ministry was he came and showed the world the potential of the old covenant. The flaw was failed, fallen men could not keep the law. But the benefits of that covenant were amazingly powerful. And all through the Old Testament and up through the ministry of Jesus, when people connected by faith and people got into the anointing, miracles happened. You know, healing didn't begin when Jesus 
started his earthly ministry, there had already been all these accounts of healing go through the Old Testament. Think about Naaman, the Syrian general, who wasn't even a man of covenant. He wasn't even a Jew. And he was healed of leprosy. A death sentence was on his life. And he was healed by simply obeying the command of the prophet and doing what the man of God said and the power of God healed him. And over and over again you see those miracles. And when we get to Jesus' day, because there would be no hindrance in Jesus, there was no sin in him, and nothing to hinder him, the power was flowing just like a river. But it's interesting, isn't it, that even in the ministry of Jesus, now this is not in the, uh, the card, but I need to go here tonight. Didn't intend to, but I've got to, and that's Mark, the sixth chapter. Because it's interesting that with all the power available here in the ministry of Jesus, all that he did, I want you to notice in uh, chapter 6 of the book of Mark, that uh, verse 2, that when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished saying, From whence hath this man these things, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? See, they were looking at his natural credentials, and they didn't match the kind of ministry they saw going on. And they said, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They didn't rejoice, they didn't receive, they were offended. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work. I want you to notice that verse. It does not say he wouldn't. It doesn't say he didn't want to. It says he could not. Now that, that doesn't match some people's theology. Their theology of what they, their version of their teaching of the sovereignty of God, this doesn't match. And so obviously this is not one of their favorite verses. But it's true. It's not what he wouldn't do, it's what he couldn't do. He could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk. That would be one translation renders that folks with minor ailments and healed them. And notice verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Only two times in the Bible that Jesus marveled. One was at the faith of the centurion, who was not a Jew. But said, you don't need to come to my house. Speak the word only. My servant will be healed. Jesus marveled. Said he'd not found so great faith, not in Israel. This is the other time that he marveled. And he marveled here, not at faith, but at unbelief. Which also tells me something about Jesus. And you know he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've already read that verse tonight. Um, and that tells me something about Jesus. That evidently, faith, belief is really important to him. If it's present and powerful, it gets his attention. And when it's non-existent, that gets his attention. And I don't know about everybody else, but I want to get his attention in a good way. 
You cannot offer God a greater insult than to disbelieve him. You will stop the power of God completely in your life if you don't trust God. He has willed it so, and I I say this as kindly as I know how, but if you have a problem with that concept, you're going to have to talk to him. Nobody here has the authority to change that. I sure don't. And your case isn't so special that it's going to change that. We have to conform to his will. Can you say amen? I hope the quietness is concentration and receiving, not sleep and boredom. Amen. You know, it's like the story they told about the preacher who was preaching away and doing his thing and he looked and saw a guy, you know, there on the front row and he was asleep. So I guess the preacher was feeling his, you know, if maybe, I don't know if he's insulted or whatever, but anyway, uh, he told the guy next to him, he said, wake that man up. And the man responded, he said, you're the one who put him to sleep. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a true story, but anyway, you get the point. Praise the Lord. Old joke. But anyway, he marveled because of their unbelief. And then the latter part of the sixth verse is important too. And he went round about the villages teaching. See, that's the only cure for unbelief is the word of God. And so if you're Jesus, you teach, you preach, and you heal. And when you run into unbelief that is hindering the move and the flow of the anointing, you just keep teaching. And you just keep teaching. And that's, that's what we do in a local church. We just keep teaching. Basically the same message, the same gospel, the same Bible, just over and over and over again. And it's amazing that sometimes we have to hear it, I don't know how many times before we get it. I know I've been there, read the same passage, and I don't know, maybe when I read it the, the, the last time, I don't know what number time it was, many times, but I saw something I didn't see. I remember years ago, this person isn't here, so I'm not going to, you know, not, I'm not going to mention any names either. But it's nobody here. Uh, but I remember ministering, and um, the Lord had given me a message, and I ministered and preached, and time went by and passed by, and a long time it went by, and I felt directed to the Lord that I should take those notes and preach the basic message again. And so I did my best. I hope it was better the second time than the first. It should be. But anyway, and so when I got done, here was a lady that I knew had heard the first one and then heard the second one. And when she heard the second one, she told me, she said, uh, you know, I believe that's the best message I've ever heard. In my mind, I was very nice about it, and I'm thinking, you heard it like a year ago. (laughs) But you see, she didn't really hear it that first time. So sometimes we get thinking, well, I already know all of that. Well, you know, if you're hearing it for the first time, that's seed. That's revelation and seed. If you're hearing it for the 40th time, that's watering the seed. And and we have to do that if we're going to grow in our faith. Amen? Now, let's close with a couple of passages over in the book of Luke. Will you turn over there with me in your Bible? The book of Luke and chapter number 5. Luke chapter 5. 
Praise the Lord. Jesus was teaching, preaching, and healing. And uh, while you're turning to Luke 5, I want to reread Matthew 15, 30, and 31, uh, where it says, Then and great multitudes came unto him, having with him those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast him down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. I wish we had more time tonight. We just don't, but uh, you can see that healing was what brought glory to God. And that kind of shoots a hole, a big hole, in the doctrine or the idea that sometimes people are sick for his glory. You know, well, you know, and people, you know, if they hear that, they think, then if they get sick, automatically, you know, the devil's going to come back and remind them that they must be the one that's sick for his glory. They're not going to get healed, but God's going to get glory out of them being sick. I've heard people say all kinds of things. I've heard people say, well, you know, the Lord knew that if I, uh, you know, hadn't been in the hospital sick and I nearly died, but I got to witness to somebody and they got saved and, you know, so God used that. Well, thank God he used, used the person to do some good. But uh, I ask this question all the time. Of course, I guess it's a smart aleck in me, but I ask this question. I think it's a legitimate question. What's keeping you from going witnessing people while you're well? Why do you have to be in a bed nearly dead before you talk to somebody about Jesus? You know, they'll let you in a hospital even if you're well. You can do what they call visiting. I know I'm getting really smarty here, but... You know what I'm saying? You don't have to wait until you're in this world of hurt and world of trouble before you acknowledge the Lord in your life. Acknowledge Him all the time. Go pray for the sick person. And if the nurse is in there and you feel led of the Lord to witness to them, witness to them. Amen. All right, we've got to move along. Luke chapter 5. And verse number 15, if you'll look at that verse with me, it says, But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to what? Hear. To hear and to be what? Healed by him of their infirmities. To hear and to be healed. There is a hearing and healing connection. There is a healing and a hearing connection, either way you want to say it. And then in the sixth chapter of Luke, if you'll look at that passage with me, Luke chapter 6 and verses 17, 18, and 19. It says, And he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon which came to hear him and to be what? Healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue or power out of him and healed them what? All. So people that were just naturally afflicted, they just had something physically wrong, they were healed. And people who had things that were uh, demonic in origin, not that they necessarily were demon-possessed, but there was a spirit involved in their infirmity, their sickness, they were also set free. 
And notice, they were all healed. Can you imagine a service where they had brought together this great company of people and every sick person was healed? Every person bound by the devil was set free and delivered. Can you imagine what kind of a crowd you'd have the next time you had a service? You wouldn't have to do all these tricks and gimmicks for, quote, church growth. All we need is a move of God. And not only would the church grow, but people are blessed. They're changed forever. Hallelujah. It's so important. It is so, so important. Hallelujah. And so, notice that they came to hear him and to be healed. And so what I want to close with is this. That's what we're doing on these Wednesday nights. Really, that's what you're doing even on Sunday morning. Because God's word is medicine. We learned that from Proverbs 4. That was our first scripture on the list. And uh, it doesn't say just the healing scriptures of medicine. It just says his word is medicine. And so when we come to hear, healing is present. Healing's here tonight. You just have to reach out and take it. That's all you have to do is reach out and take it. Just receive it. Receive it. It belongs to you. We believe in the laying on of hands. We anoint people with oil. We, we, uh, we minister healing as the Lord directs in different ways. We know that it, God's not limited to just one way that he does everything. But we do know this, that you can be healed even where you are, right? In your seat. You can be healed tonight. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till you go back to the doctor to see what he might say. You can get your healing and then let him tell you what he sees later on. Because God's word is true. So, Father, in the name of Jesus tonight, I pray for all those who are in this room and all those who are watching this program. I believe, Lord, that the healing power of Jesus flows. I believe tonight, Lord, that there is a supernatural flow, a supernatural flow of the anointing of God, a powerful healing flow that will bring deliverance to those who are bound and set the captives free and cause pain to leave and disease to go and things to be turned and to be changed for the good, for the better, and to be made right in the name of Jesus. Lift up your hands right now, everybody, please. But especially, if you need healing, lift your hands up and say, Thank you, Lord. I receive my healing. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah.